Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Eno Safo. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. Existing domestic bonds as of 1st December 2022 will be exchanged for a set of four new bonds maturing in 2027, 2029, 2032, and 2037. The much-anticipated debt exchange program by government has been launched and tongues have been wagging all day about who is going to lose what. We'll unpack the issues here for you on Eyewitness News. Also coming up, many Ghanaians stranded at SIM card registration centers after they were blocked by their network service providers. The frustrated customers are on Eyewitness News tonight and later on the show. The president's role is like a coach, not a, just a team leader. A coach, you have to know what your ministers are doing, whether they are being positive or well, you think they are just being average. Uh, when you should expect more of them. Loyalty is not enough. Fire your ministers or reshuffle them if they don't perform. The advice from former President John Ejekum Kofuo on how to run a government. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Government assures financial sector players of support to minimize impact of the debt exchange program on their operations. That's in 15 minutes with Michael Ogbodo. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including Premier 100.5 FM in Takradi, Beach 105.5 FM also in Takradi, as well as Sky Power 93.5 FM also in the regional capital, Takradi. In the Bono region, we're on Greener 95.9 FM in Suyani, Ashanti, we're on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. In the eastern region, we're on Right 90.1 FM in Sna, Somanyam. In the Volta region, we're on Holi. 98.5 FM in Aplau, Northern Region. We are live on Dasuma, 99.1 FM in Yendi. In the Upper East Region, we are on Word, 88.3 FM in Zwarungu. And Upper West on Bugli Radio, 88.6 FM in Wa. We are also live on Facebook. You are watching us wherever you are across the world via our Facebook handle. That is the City FM Facebook handle. You can let us know what you make of the big issues we are bringing you tonight by sending a message to a WhatsApp number 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. Do let us know what you think of the big stories coming up. Well, it's been long in coming since the government made the biggest U-turn ever by a government, which is to say that we are finally going to the IMF Going to the IMF means IMF officials have to come to town and inspect our books. And then there was an issue of debt restructuring. That has happened. A conclusion has been made. Government has to tell us how it's going to deal with our debt, which is at crazy levels. So the government announced in the budget what it calls a debt exchange program. And this was to say that the haircut that has been talked about 
will not happen, at least not in the context that the critics of the government have put it. So the Minister of Finance spoke to Ghanaians to announce what can be described as sad news, uncertain news, and bizarre for some of the people who have been saving in various government bonds. Let's listen to Ken Ufuriata. Under the Domestic Exchange Program, domestic bondholders will be asked to exchange their instruments for new ones. Existing domestic bonds as of 1st December 2022 will be exchanged for a set of four new bonds maturing in 2027, 2029, 2032, and 2037. The annual coupon on all these new bonds will be set at 0% in 2023, 5% in 2024, and 10% from 2025 until maturity. Coupon payments will be semi-annual. Our commitment to Ghanaians and the investor community in line with negotiations with the IMF is to restore macroeconomic stability in the shortest possible time and enable investors to realize the benefits of this debt exchange. The government of Ghana has been working hard to minimize the impact of the domestic debt exchange on investors holding government bonds, particularly small investors, individuals, and other vulnerable groups. In line with this, Treasury bills are completely exempted and all holders will be paid the full value of their investments on maturity. There will be no haircut on the principle of bonds. Individual holders of bonds will also not be affected. The government recognizes that our financial institutions hold a substantial proportion of these bonds. As such, the potential impact of this exchange on the financial sector has been assessed by their respective regulators. Working together, these regulators have put in place appropriate measures and safeguards to minimize the potential impact on the financial sector and to ensure the financial stability is preserved. Specifically, the Bank of Ghana, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the National Insurance Commission, and the National Pensions Regulatory Authority would ensure that the impact of the debt operation on your financial institution is minimized using all regulatory tools available to them. Secondly, a financial stability fund is being established by government with the help of development partners to provide liquidity support to banks, pension funds, insurance companies, fund managers, and collective investment schemes to ensure that they are able to meet their obligations to their clients as they fall due. These are difficult times, and we count on the support of all Ghanaians and the investor community to make this exercise successful. We are confident that these measures will contribute to restoring macroeconomic stability. With your understanding and support and that of the entire investor community, we shall overcome our current difficulties and with the help of God, put our economy back on the path of renewed and robust growth. As First Samuel 30:19 says, nothing was missing, small or great. I say to you, nothing will be lost, nothing will be missing, and nothing will be broken. We will together recover all. 
We will recover all the Honorable Minister of Finance, Ken of Reata's words there, but when will we recover all? And uh, at what cost would we recover all? We have dates that have been mentioned, 2027, 2029, 2032, and the longest of all, 2037, that's in 15 years. I would be speaking to people on the phone who would help us make sense of what the Minister for Finance has been saying, which has to do with this uh, announcement about how they're going to deal with the debt at the domestic level. Let's go on the phone lines now and uh, speak to um, Dr. Mark Esibe Yeboa. He's former member of Parliament and has chaired the Finance Committee of Parliament for many years and knows how governments deal with issues having to do with finance. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Yeah, yeah, good evening. You are one of the people who have advocated that we go to the IMF even before the government took the decision and at the time many people were making the call but the government had not decided yet. Now, IMF has come with this big baggage now called the haircut which people have described as haircuts and even shavings. This is what we anticipated when we said we're going to IMF. Is it not even more dreadful than going to the IMF? Um, uh, it is part of the deal. Now, the IMF program is dependent on this debt operation, if you like. So before we can sign up for a fund program, we need to restructure our debt. Our debt has become unsustainable. In simple terms, we just can repay our debts. So we have to do something about it. So this, is this the only option, or is this the only route that government could 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 travel? Government itself has admitted that the only way out of the economic mess is for us to sign on to an IMF program, and this has become a same quantum for signing on to an IMF program. So if we don't uh, restructure our debt, uh, we cannot have the program in place. Now the debt restructuring exercise is between us and our creditors. So in as much as the fund is demanding for debt restructuring, they are not involved in the debt restructuring. So they are sitting somewhere and waiting for us to have uh, the debt operation concluded before we can have a program with them. So IMF says restructure your debts. Ghana then decides how to do it. And so it's a how that becomes the issue. The how that the government has approached this uh, debt restructuring with, would you, in your estimation, say there are other options that could have been used which may be lighter on the pocket of the ordinary investor? Because it appears that the only crime of Ghanaians is that they decided not to leave their monies under their pillows but put it in government bonds, hoping that that is the best thing to do. So in a debt restructuring exercise, there is the domestic and then there is the external debt. Now, the information we have gathered so far is on the uh, restructuring of the domestic debt and I would even say that government, uh, the exercise has not been deep enough because uh, from what we are hearing, uh, individual bondholders are excluded. Um, there are no um, haircuts on the principal assets where, and there have been some concessions, if you like. So I, I think this is uh, the softer way to go, if you like. 
okay, but would it mean that the government would get less and that there was an option that the government could have gone for which would have generated more and that would be perhaps having the haircut on the capital? Yes, absolutely. Now, um, if you apply a haircut, as uh, we say in uh, common parlance, uh, essentially, um, investors are realizing losses. So what we call a haircut is realized investor uh, losses. And uh, the investor could lose part of their principal. So if I have 100,000 CDs in government bonds, I could lose, if I lose say, 30%, which is what is being uh, projected for the external, that means you, are, you have lost 30,000 of the principal. So government is saying that on the domestic front, I'm not applying a haircut to the principal. So your 100,000 Ghana cities remains the same. But then uh, I'm going to restructure the debt in this way. He's saying that um, all bonds in the system, some bonds, when we say government bonds, in essence, are bonds with maturities more than one year. So if you have a 91-day treasury bill, a uh, 182-day or a 364-day treasury bill, uh, those are not affected in the current exercise. So anything with maturities more than one year. Some bonds in the system uh, are two-year bonds. We have three-year bonds, five-year bonds, seven-year bonds, 10-year bonds, 12 years, 15, 18, and so on. Government is recalling all those bonds. So if your bond is a three-year bond, government is saying that that's your three-year bond, which is set to mature in, say, 2025. Now... I'm going to consolidate all the bonds into four types. So your uh, 2025 bond, the three-year 2025 bond of 100,000 Ghana cities, 17,000 of it would mature, of the principal, would mature in 2027. Another 17,000 will be available in 2029. Then 25,000 will be available to you in 2032. And then 41,000, Ghana cities of the 100,000 will be available to you in 2037. So uh, if yours is also a 10-year bond, same structure, that your 10-year bond that was set to mature in, let's say, 2028, now 17% of it, whatever value it is, would mature in 2027, 2029, another 17, 25% in 2032, and 41% in 2037. Okay, so what it means is that People are not necessarily going to lose money directly, but they'll lose the money because the time they expected to harvest that money has been extended. Sure, because uh, the future value of my 100000 today will not be the same. So the, my 100000 that was due in 2023, if you like, and then which is being spread into four types, 17% of it in five years, another 17% in seven years, 25% in 10 years, 41% in 15 years. Certainly would not have the same value as uh, its present value now. So um, if you stretch it, that's a haircut because <laughs> uh, um, the value, the future value of my 100,000 due to it in 2025 is not the same as uh, this application to it. But the government insists there's no haircut on the capital. But reading through the lines and continue, continuing the fact that the duration would be extended, you can confidently say that this is a haircut. I'm saying that's future value. You see, if I have a one, have one million CDs in bonds due to mature in 2026, 
and you apply these four types of uh, distribution to it, it's not the same. So maybe government is not calling a haircut. I'm saying that my one million or whatever uh, investment will not be the same when I've realized it or in 15 years. What about the percentages of interest that the government announced uh, graduating from 5% onwards, 0% being next year and then 5% from 2024 and continuing? Would that not be an interest that accruing for you which would make for make up for the for the haircut that you would have been suffering as a result of the duration? No. So all these um, bonds have uh, interest on them so that you are paid coupons. So if you had a three-year bond to mature in 2025, maybe the interest rate on it is 25% every six-month payment. The average rate of interest on all of these bonds in the system is about 22%. That's the average rate of interest on all of these bonds. So if you consolidate all of them, into the four types that government is talking about. Government is saying that in 2023, I'm paying you 0% interest. So you don't get any interest on it. Then in 2024, I'll pay you 5% interest. Thereafter, it becomes 10% for the uh, uh, remainder of the term of the bond, which would be take the next 13 years. So that would be the coupon payment. Mind you, this is uh, a consolidation. There are some bonds in the system with a maturity of 18 years. And if you have a bond and it's set to mature in 18 years, every six months you get a coupon payment. So that's what the interest is the same. But I'm saying if you look at the fact that the average interest rate on existing bonds in the system is about 22%, and we are coming down to 10%, then that would be a haircut crypto sensor. So even if your bond was to mature next year, from what the government has announced, it extends to 2029, or 2027 being the first and then it continues. Yes, the, the minister has announced a cut-off of first December 2022. That will be four days ago. So once uh, that date has been set, if even your bond uh, was to mature in January of 2023, uh, I, uh, to my understanding, uh, uh, it will suffer this week. And so you have to wait to 2027 or 2029. or 20, have they? Can you help us understand what they meant by... 20, who, so, who gets what so, I do by 2037? Everybody. That's why I'm saying that, uh, you see, you, you, uh, in the current circumstance, you are giving an example of somebody who's born matures in January of 2023. There are some people who have born who will mature in 2026. Some will mature in 2030. Some will mature in 2040. We are consolidating all those bonds and saying that whatever bond you hold, you will get 17% of that uh, value in 2027. You'll get another 17% in 2029. You'll get 25% in 2032 and 41% in 2037. Okay? Okay. So, so that in, in government books for domestic bonds, there will only be four types. So for government, he's not paying any principal until 2027 that he pays 17% of all the bonds in his books. And then likewise, uh, as I've outlined. Okay. Now, governments... Our government is a continuum, but we also know that the Akufado government will terminate in 2024 or 2025, and so would the finance minister, Ken Oforiata. Can they project all the way to 2037? And is that something that can be, you know, continued by future governments? And I want you to say or give this answer in line with what happened with Kutua Champon of 72 during the Yentia period. Can this really yes. continue for an investor? Should they believe that this will happen? 
Okay, so uh, to start with, uh, in uh, General Kutu Champon's time, the debt was repudiated. He said, I won't pay. That's a different, uh, uh, that, that's different from what we have on our hands now. So he just said that it was a military government and he said he wouldn't pay and then we suffered some consequences on the international market. This is a structured form of debt default. Okay, mind you, the debt that we are handling now too is not the Kufuado government's debt. This, these are debts that have piled up since Dr. Kwame Nkrumah's time through John Mahama, President Kufu, and everybody thereafter. So that is Ghana's debt. So what we are doing now is Ghana as a country and not the MPP. Mind you, there are also debts, uh, bonds that have maturities that will maybe uh, extend uh, even uh, 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 extend further than our lifetimes. You have issued bonds for 41 years uh, in the external euro bonds. You have 41-year euro bonds, we have 40 years, uh, and so on. So it is a country that is at play right now. And so uh, another government cannot come and say that I'm going to repudiate the debt or I'm not going to continue with the debt restructuring. Mind you, when uh, there was an IMF program under President Mahama and the MPP inherited the reins of power in 2017, we continued with that program. And so uh, this is a Ghana Operation, a Ghana debt operation, and not a government uh, in power operation. Yeah, I'm asking that because we also know the issue of um, consultations. We've heard from some unions saying they were not consulted. The NDC called a hastily addressed press, a called press conference after the minister's announcement, at which they said they did not support what the government has said. And that's why I'm asking this question. So the issue of consensus building, what this would mean to, to the plan by the government outlined? I don't know the level of consultations that have gone on, but I would have expected that uh, for such an operation, you engage civil society, high level, even the judiciary, uh, the leadership of parliament, the council of state, the opposition in DC, you know, the pension funds. So I don't know the level of engagement that have gone on, but if this had been, uh, this has been done well, you wouldn't see opposition coming from uh, labor unions and the minority and the rest. But it's not too late because uh, having announced, and this announcement had to come because you have to conclude the IMF staff level agreement. So having announced this, I would think uh, uh, the time is right for us to engage religious bodies, everybody involved. Because this is a Ghana thing. You know, we can't go this alone. This is a Ghana thing. Whoever becomes president in 2025, we have to continue with this. And so... We should all uh, get it. I don't know the level of consultations or engagements mm. that have gone on, but I would uh, certainly advise that if we haven't done so, uh, uh, it's better late than never. Would this require a parliamentary approval? No, this is a voluntary exercise. <laughs> you can't legislate this one. You know, uh, people can contest this. That's why you have to get everybody's buying. People can contest it because that's not the time I was buying your bond. We didn't have any anything the fine print which says that you can decide that you won't pay me interest in but you see uh truth be told this debt operation is better than an outright debt default this is a default uh, implicitly but what uh, if the government you know that and i i i i am saying that uh, if this doesn't go through by April 2023, the government will start defaulting on this debt obligations. So that it, it will happen. And when that one happens, you wouldn't have been put on notice. And the panic and the fear and the consequences thereof sometimes it's uh, it's uh, untoward. So this one is an orderly structured way. 
So it says, yes, I'm going to pay you this at this point in time, in at a future date, interest on this. And this is an orderly way of doing this. And so uh, we are caught between a rock and a hard place. Where we are now, uh, we can't pay our debts. Uh, and so what can we do? Doc, the question would be, as a private person, I shouldn't be bothered about government's quote-unquote reckless borrowing. And if government engage in reckless borrowing, hold government officials responsible and leave my my investments alone. And I'm asking this to base it as a reason to say, can't people sue and say, listen, I'm not going to allow for you to do what you plan to do with my money. I invested that money because I want to start building a house in 2023, for instance, or I want to get married. And now you're asking me to wait and get married in, what, 2037? By which time? 15 years. I'm not sure. Ajinkwa? Yeah, you're entirely, you're, you're entirely right. Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's a voluntary exercise, and you have to... Mind you, if you want to uh, uh, litigate this one, it's also going to take some time. In the end, it will be last seven years' time where you have gotten your second tranche of the payments. And so, um, yes, you could see class actions uh, being brought about, and a lot of litigation and uh, yampini, yampini. But uh, for me, I think where we are, uh, cool heads have to prevail and let's just buy into this one. But maybe some more engagements would help. Let's leave it here for now then. Thank you so much, Doc, for your time. Sure, sure. That's Dr. Marcus Ibeyeboa. He's a former chairman of the Finance Committee of Parliament, former member of Parliament for New Job and South, which constituency houses the Eastern Regional Capital, Kufuridwa. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We return to hear from the Ministry of Finance and some more analysis on what this means to your savings. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sandamadu here with Enno Safu. We are trying to help unpack the issues for you. The address by the Minister of Finance, which started with a prelude that happened last night, and today he invited his technical team to speak to Ghanaians about what we are going to be experiencing over the next, what, 15 years, and it has to do with the government's debt restructuring Agenda. The Minister of Finance is Ken Ofriata. His deputy, or one of his deputies, is Dr. John Kuma. He's MP for Ijisu. He joins us on the line. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, Sandra. For the ordinary man listening to you in your constituency who had savings with a bank or an investment with a bank, explain what the government is planning to do and how that would affect them either positively or negatively. Yes, uh, thank you, and good evening to all listeners of CTFM. Um, government at the moment is trying to um, achieve their sustainability as part of the IMF program. And at the moment, um, I am uh, able to inform individual bondholders and T-bill investors that uh, their investments are excluded or exempted from the debt exchange program. So uh, basically what government is saying is that um, in order to be able to bring our debt to sustainable levels, because where we are as a country, our debt levels are unsustainable, and we need to bring it to sustainable levels. And one of the key legs is the domestic um, investors who we have to engage under the debt exchange program. 
So uh, individual bondholders are exempted because we know that uh, especially pensioners who have invested their uh, investment in bonds, they will rely solely on the returns from these bonds and the TDOS investments do not have to suffer under this project. That's why we have exempted uh, all individual bondholders and TDOS holders. So basically, government will be dealing mainly with the institutional investors under the program. And in the end, the objective is to help restore the market and bring the economy back on its feet so that in the end we can all have a more stronger market to, to, to deal in and to be able to post returns for investors. And under the debt exchange program, government is saying that we are going to issue some new bonds um, uh, for the old existing bonds that uh, are on the market. And, 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 and then we are going to have uh, also new um, rates on, on the new bonds that we are going to issue. So for the whole of 2023, we are going to have a zero percent uh, interest payment on the bonds and 5% in 2024 and then uh, for a 10% of maturity of those bonds. But even though government is giving 0% uh, in 2023, the reality is that the current market value of these bonds are up to sometimes uh, uh, reduced by 30% or 40%. But by the end of 2023, when we are not giving it at 0%, the values of these bonds may be restored to their original value. Uh, let me give an example. Let's say I have 100 cities in bonds as an institutional investor. If Currently, if I want to uh, liquidate that bond, uh, I may get about uh, 70 Ghana or 60 Ghana out of the 100 Ghana cities because of the current market situation where investors are losing on the value of their bonds. That's the reality at the moment. So government is saying don't uh, liquidate the bonds. Let's all work together to restore value by next year. Even though we are not giving, we are, we are saying we are giving 0% interest, we believe that it will help restore the value of your 100 cities back to 100 cities. So in the whole year, even though you are getting zero, the value will move from the 60 Ghana cities you are going to get from today back to the 100 Ghana cities. So essentially, it's not a zero-sum situation. But because the interests are not coming, we are announcing 0% interest. And then from 2024, we do 5% interest from the uh, the principal, and then uh, and then ten percent for for the for the uh, following years until uh, the the maturity period expires. Okay, now you say that individual bonds will not be affected. For instance, the Ghana National Association of Teachers has individuals making up that collective. People pay to NAT and say. We would come back for our money, and because NAT has to invest it, they decided to buy a government bond. Ultimately, the teacher in a village somewhere in Upper East Region is going to be affected as an individual because what they had projected to get by 2023, they will not get, and they have to now take and wait for a longer time. So when you say that individuals will not be affected, yes, directly they will not, but through groups that they belong to, individuals will ultimately be affected. 
Well, there's a difference between groups' investment and individual investment. Treating them are not the same. The one thing, too, has to be clear that uh, any time we invest, um, there are two possibilities. You invest for a gain. Sometimes, um, even though it's unanticipated, you can invest to lose. And currently, the market is returning negative um, returns on the on the rare values of, of their gains or their principles. So all that government is seeking to do is to help restore the market to sustainable levels where we can all be sure of uh, long-term profitability to all investors. In the long term, yes, it's painful. We are going to lose some benefits that um, we uh, we anticipated to get out of the investment. In the short term, we may lose something. But in the long term, um, all these um, gains will be restored, and then we can all be back to enjoying the uh, opportunities in the, in, the, in the bond space. So um, even as long as it's an institutional or group investment, um, of course, every company too are made up of individuals. If you want to go that direction, then you will not be able to even do the program. The important thing is that individual pensioners who have invested their monies and rely on it uh, for their returns to be able to survive as pensioners and vulnerable uh, individuals who have invested in T-bills, all these monies or individual funds have been preserved. But when it comes to group, we will be dealing with the group differently. But like I said, it is to restore the benefits to these groups in the long term, even though in the short term we may painfully have to give up something. So uh, what I get from the NAT and trade unions and all the um, associations who are objecting to this program is the lack of uh, uh, maybe engagement. Uh, we need to do more engagement with them to explain uh, to them the benefits of this program and why they must support government to be able to execute the debt exchange program. Because in the end, they stand to benefit more. On the issue of uh, this program that you have rolled out, you need the buy-in of everybody. So these groups that you talked about, organized labor, you will need to have their buy-in the opposition party, uh, all of these people who have interest and who can calm tensions for you, would be necessary that you meet with them and have a chat with them and have their buy-in before you go to town with your plan. It appears on the face of it that you have not done this. That's why you are getting the swift opposition that you are getting to this program. How successful can your program be when you don't have the buy-in of another group of people on the other side of the aisle? Well, the uh, government has done a lot of extensive engagements uh, with various stakeholders, but um, of course the list cannot be exhaustive. Um, and so we'll continue to engage. You know, we, we, we engage all the banks. The government even set up a committee um, ahead of this program to do consultative engagement uh, before we're able to conclude on the debt exchange, the domestic debt exchange program. Um, of course, uh, uh, we have to do more. There cannot be conclusion when others feel that they have not been engaged enough. And I think that government will continue to engage and to assure everybody that the objective is to bring all of us back to grounds where we can all survive together.
because if we don't get our um, economy back on track, all the investment that we have made could be lost. And it's painful, but that's the reality. So at where we, we are, we have to understand that in the short term, we may have to give up something uh, to be able to achieve a long-term uh, uh, profitability for all, for, for all of us and, and our gains in future. So we just have to engage more to explain the situation to them. Mm. How, how extensive have these engagements been and how high up have you gone with the engagement? For instance, have you met the NDC as a group or its former flag bearer or former president Mahama, former president Kufo, for instance? Have you had meetings with these people to, to put this thing before them and get their buy-in? Um, I am not sure about uh, individuals and uh, specific groups. What I know is that these bondholders uh, are the first um, targets, uh, and they are known. It's a defined uh, group. It's not. Um, of course, I understand that as as a nation, everybody is an important stakeholder. But I'm talking about the immediate, um, uh, the immediate sense of the consultation was more to do with the, uh, the actual stakeholders who hold the bonds and who will suffer the immediate uh, uh, impact of whatever decision that we were making. All those people, the insurance, the banks, the pension funds, uh, almost all the uh, immediate stakeholders have been consulted. But, uh, of course, the broader uh, picture of uh, national influences, uh, maybe uh, I will not be able to confirm whether I've met the specific names that you have mentioned. On the political side of things, how is government responding to the, well, not accusation, but the fact that you have run the economy aground? Well, everybody knows this. Not a Ghana situation. Yes, uh, it's painful. We are having the pain, and so uh, when you, you explain that the cause is not just maybe because of an internal cause, it's difficult for people to accept. But globally, I mean, as we speak, every country, everywhere is struggling with inflation, with um, uh, supply chain losses, and people cannot even find uh, basic cooking uh, oil. In Germany, for instance, in supermarkets, uh, cooking oil uh, numbers are restricted as in terms of how many you can buy from shops. Things that sold for four euros are going for thirty euros, and it's it's, it's painful. But it is so everywhere because of uh, the Ukraine war and the post-COVID uh, syndrome of inflation. Uh, unfortunately, in Ghana, the impact of the global uh, financial uh, Turbulence have also hit us here, and 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 we are working together to be able to uh, restore the economy back to its uh, strength. And and these are some of the painful decisions that we need to go through to be able to restore the strength of the economy. Specifically on the engagement, I, I just my attention has just been drawn to something uh, suggesting that the TUC says he was not engaged. So you can say on authority that TUC at least as a group has not been engaged. Yes, that's why I'm saying that uh, if they have not been engaged, uh, 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 it's not late to do so because they are a very important group as far as uh, uh, decisions of the states are concerned. 
and we have not closed our doors. Uh, and and we need to engage them and explain to them on why they should come on board to work with us to achieve the results. And so, um, uh, of course, it has been difficult, uh, and and it, it, the the nature of the the debt exchange program requires a certain level of management in terms of who to engage at what. And you remember the kind of panic as of yesterday, people were leaking videos and messages to create fear and panic. So uh, I, I would say that maybe there was limited engagement for the sake of the sensitivity of information, but it is not too late to continue to engage and explain to the various groups who must be explained to and engage further for understanding. We are prepared to do so. Thank you for speaking to us. Uh, that's Deputy Finance Minister and MP for Egypt, Dr. John Kuma. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. So as the government explores various means of uh, dealing with the challenge. Uh, we've been hearing from various experts. Uh, Dr. Sarkodie uh, was on the big issue this uh, Saturday, and uh, he proposed that we go into the Heritage Fund. Listen to him. The Heritage Fund is backed on an act of parliament. Uh, but my position on the Heritage Fund is that we have invested it outside. It is earning us 2% nominal interest rate when the U.S. Fed rate, uh, in, in inflation rate, sorry, U.S. inflation now is 8%. So if you earn 2% on your heritage and civilization fund, it means you are getting negative real returns on the heritage fund and civilization fund. It is not making any economic sense or prudency to invest and receive 2% when the inflation rate in the country in which you have invested is about 8% now. It means you are really losing. What is my proposal? My proposal is that the Heritage and the Stabilization Fund currently is about $1 billion, not serious, $1 billion. It must be brought home. It must be brought home and invested in this country so that even uh, the, 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 the government can borrow from the fund. In other words, government is borrowing from Israel because it's better for the government to borrow from the Heritage Fund and the Stabilization Fund locally and pay about 5% on its, uh, in, in terms of dollars than keeping it in somebody's country and earning us 2% nominal and negative 6% real. So I think that we should, brought, we should bring it home. It must be brought home and invested locally. It can be invested in, in, uh, in, in dollars and then government, instead of going to the labor market to borrow at 9%, 7%, 8%, it can borrow from the heritage fund here in dollars and pay 5% or 6 or at an agreeable percentage. Secondly, even if it's brought home, it can be used to buy government bonds. And then the government will pay, uh, just like we have foreigners coming to buy government domestic bonds and government is paying them in the same way. So the Heritage Fund and Civilization Fund should, should act as a, a individual entities. So that's Dr. Edu Sakodia speaking on the big issue this Saturday. There's more on this particular issue. The NDC called the press conference. Tell us more. So the minority... A group in Parliament has rejected the government's debt exchange program intended to restructure the country's debt into a more sustainable liability. As a critical part of the ongoing negotiations with the International Monetary Fund to secure Ghana's $3 billion support, the government is exchanging already sold bonds for new ones with a more flexible interest payment plan. But the minority group says the form and structure of the program are not acceptable. Minority leader Haruna Idrisu spoke at a press conference. 
this morning announced to paraphrase him a major policy blueprint on government debt restructuring or debt exchange program. He has promised to announce him for our final debt restructuring. And to paraphrase him again, they are doing so to put our unsustainable debt on the right path. You recall that President Nanadu Danko Akufuado, on his famous or infamous address to the nation, on that Sunday, he was categorical and emphatic that there would be no haircut. At least now we know that there is. Let me state without any fear of contradiction that the form and structure of the debt restructuring plan announced by Minister Ken Opuriata is unacceptable to us and we simply will not accept it. I shudder to ask, how come that the contours, I'm quoting him, of this debt exchange program was not announced in the budget statement that was presented to Parliament? Were investors consulted? Bondholders, were they consulted? How did he come to this conclusion? You heard Minority Leader Haruna Idrisu. Just Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's move to some other stories now. Former President John Ejekum Kufo says heads of state should not be hesitant in sacking their appointees if they are underperforming. Now recall that a lot of people are asking former, the current president, John Nanadudanko Kufado, to fire some of his ministers and reshuffle them. He has been reluctant in doing that. The former president, John Ejikum Kufo, hosted officials of the Institute of Economic Affairs, IEA, and the question was asked him by Kwekuse Chiado what he made of the reshuffling of appointees. He gave a scenario and explained his position. Listen. I didn't reshuffle just for the frequency of it. No. Uh, any shifts I made, like I mentioned, Mrs. Asma, I liked her so much. May she rest in peace. And she helped me so much when I was canvassing to become president. But along the way, I saw that she wasn't pulling the support I expected from the ladies, the women, when I say ladies. So I said, perhaps Mrs. Asma would be more effective going to the fisheries to open the place up for us. So that's how I did the research. So I didn't shuffle just for the sake, but we were watching. The president's role is like a coach, not a, just a team leader, a coach. You have to know what your ministers are doing, whether they are being positive or whether you think they are just being average, uh, when you should expect more of them. Then you should have the courage to say, please, you don't belong here. Go there or perhaps sit aside. That's how I did my and that, that thing should not be like this now. It should be continuous. So that's former President John Ejekum Kufo. Among the people who have been asking for a reshuffle, I believe, as political science lecturer at the University of Ghana, Professor Ransford Jampo. So we've called him up to ask him um, what he makes of, of this um, new advice given by the former president. And there's also a school of thought that 
if they haven't wronged you, why fire them? Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. So the president has just said, the former president has said that, well, he just didn't get up to do reshuffling. There are a lot of things that would inform reshuffling and changing ministers or even sending them away. And he's just giving Gladys Asma as an example there. Um, based on this information, he is very experienced. I mean, in recent times, he's the most experienced after Jerry Rollins. So he's the most experienced living president or former president we have now. Would you say that the current president, Anakufado, should be given time to decide who he thinks is not fit to be in his government and then send them packing or reshuffle? And then it should not be reshuffle for the sake of reshuffling. Oh, <laughs> good evening. The president should be given time again after close to seven years of 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 governing with the same set of virtually the same set of people. I don't think um that is um the way to go. You know, after receiving the mandate of the people to govern and forming your government appointing ministers, um uh, the president once he's given the opportunity for his appointees to work is able to sit behind and assess the strengths, the weaknesses, and the competences of um, his appointees. Now, when you sit and you assess, you see that certain strengths and certain competences um, in one ministry may not be needed in that ministry. You may need um, those strengths and competences in another ministry. And then you would also realize that some ministers may be very weak and they may not be fit for purpose or they may not have a, a, a role to play in government. You may also see that some ministers may um, be good for whatever they may have been appointed and they may be excelling. And at times, even when people are excelling in their ministries, um, if you want to achieve much, you have to reshuffle them um, to other ministries so that they go take on new challenges and to excel. And so um, the idea of reshuffle is for the purpose of bringing about effective and good governance so that you'll be able to get the best um, out of the um, talents and skills and energies and competences that people have. I've always used this as an example, and if you don't give people the chance, if you don't reshuffle, you don't see what is really um, in people. Before Nana Kumia went to um, STC, um, the State Transport Corporation was virtually moribund. It was it was almost collapsed, but he went there, and we saw we seen what is going on at STC. Before Henry Cote became the Great Akka Regional Minister, uh, he was with the National Security. And the president, in his own way, says that when he was transferring him or reshuffling him to be the Great Akka Regional Minister, the man didn't like it. But when he became a minister of Great Akka Region, we've all seen the kinds of things that he's doing, which previous ministers were not doing. And so the point is that there is every good reason why you have to think about um, reshuffling. But it appears that our president favors um, loyalty and relationship over over competence and over national interest. And so um, people who may have been loyal to him, uh, he finds it difficult to reshuffle or to ask them from office. 
But at the end of the day, it's all about the personal loyalty to the, to the president that matters. It is about the assemblage of the needed brains and talents and limited national um, resource, um, limited human resource we have for the purposes of helping to govern well, to help us extricate ourselves from the quagmires of poverty and underdevelopment. And so um, uh, I've always said that one day, um, if you want to really stretch the law on causing financial loss to the state, then somebody might be thinking about taking President Akufuado on for unnecessarily dissipating the scarce human resource we have as a nation. It's the MPP that touted um, the cliche that they have the men. And I don't want to believe that these are all the men that the party can assemble or the government can assemble. If you speak to some of them behind the scenes, they complain that they can do better than what those in, those, um, in government are doing. And so if you have the men, it's not about satisfying the whims of any appointing authority. It's about bringing about development, governing well in a manner that would better the lot of the ordinary people. And if people can do it, hmm. you have to give them the chance. Thank you so much uh, for, for your perspectives and input. That's Professor Ransford, Jam- Ransford Jampo. He's a political science lecturer at the University of Ghana. Still ahead, we have Point Blank. My guest is a former Minister of Health, a member of the NDC, Alex Segbefia. We'll be talking about the party's Congress, which is coming up shortly. But before then, we'll hear about Ghanaians who are struggling with their SIM cards that have been blocked and the struggle at SIM registration centers before Michael Ogodo comes through with the latest in the world of business. Many Ghanaians were today left stranded at various registration centers in their bid to re-register their SIM cards because of network problems. Mobile telephone providers have since December 1 been applying sanctions to unregistered subscribers, including deactivation of SIM cards that have successfully passed the first phase of registration. Some frustrated customers who thronged offices of some mobile network operators spoke to City News. When it was my turn to register, they said I should go inside. I went inside, I joined the queue, then my Ghana card is not picking the biometric. So I have to come out and stay inside the line. The lady had to do it, do it several times before. uh, So the thing is just frustrating people. For me, I just want to abandon my, uh, my SIM and go for another SIM with another network. If it's not that my money is on it, I will not even bother at all. Yeah, I will not even bother. Because I went to MTN, it's the same issue. Their biometric is not picking. Yes, I've been blocked since Saturday. Since Saturday. I need money to give to my children this money to go to school, and I don't have money because the, my, my money is on my phone. Can, I can make call. I, my data is working, though, but my mobile money is not working. So that's why I'm here. You have money on it? I have money on it. Yes. So I'm here because of that. Those were some frustrated customers at the premises of mobile network operators. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction. Every market movement. And all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. 
Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Ubudu. Let's settle for the details now. Minister of Finance Ken Ufariata has assured all financial sector players of government support to minimize the impact of the debt exchange program on their activities. Ghana is seeking an economic program from the IMF to address its balance of payment and other financing challenges. As part of the deal, the government has embarked on a debt sustainability analysis which shows that the country's debt level, which has exceeded 100% of gross domestic product, is unsustainable, hence the need for such an action. Speaking at the launch of the debt exchange program, the minister hinted that the governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ines Anderson, and other heads of regulatory institutions will be taxed to engage stakeholders on the debt management program. Our pledge to you all is that government will take all appropriate measures to safeguard the solvency of the financial institutions involved in the exchange, thanks to well-targeted regulatory measures and the creation of a financial stability fund. Banks, pension funds, insurance companies, fund managers, and collective investment schemes will be supported to ensure that they are able to meet the obligations to their clients as they fall due. For this reason, the Governor of the Bank of Ghana will follow suit with details of the necessary assistance in due course. We have also dialogued extensively with regulators across the financial sector, including the Securities and Exchange Commission, National Insurance Commission, and the National Pensions Regulatory Authority to agree that regulatory forbearance will be provided to all entities whose financial position is adversely affected by virtue of participating in this exchange. This debt exchange provides an orderly way to put our economy back on track. These efforts will be complemented by fiscal measures to protect the neediest and most vulnerable in society. The government expects overwhelming support to this exchange. Minister of Finance Ken Ufariata. Meanwhile, an economist with the University of Ghana, Professor Gottfried Bokpin, says Ghana looks set for a possible IMF staff level agreement following government's commencement of the debt restructuring program. Professor Bokpin added that the measures announced by the finance minister will help address the challenges the country encountered after its previous IMF deal. What looks very possible now is staff level agreement, right? Before it will go to the IMF executive board, government will have to demonstrate some level of discussion or commitment also with their investors, right, about... Because, you see, the IMF also cares about its reputation, and that is why they want to come in and they, they demonstrate that they stepped in and the worst, in the worst scenario that this is the result they were able to achieve because the IMF reputation, some way, somehow was tampered with under the 16th IMF program that we implemented from 2015 to 2019. Why are we saying so? Because when Ghana made that application, the call on April 6, 2014, we had judged our debt to be at a high risk of debt distress category. We exited that program without solving our debt sustainability issue. Professor Gottfried Bopkin is an economist with the University of Ghana. Now, the Ghana Chamber of Telecommunications believes the proposed reduction in the electronic transfer levy rate in the 2023 budget will still not be enough to encourage patronage. The government introduced a 1% rate from an earlier 1.5% after the levy failed to meet its revenue targets, while telcos recorded significant dips in the patronage of mobile money services since the introduction of the levy. In an interview with City Business News, CEO of the Chamber, Engineer Dr. Kenneth Ashibi, added that the removal of the daily cap on transactions up to 100 
500 Ghana CDs is also a major disincentive for the marginalized. Uh, definitely the numbers we're looking at was no 1%. And so definitely the 1% is not that sweet spot, you know, that would get a lot more users not really thinking about it. Just take, for example, the fact that if you are about to send a uh, thousand CDs uh, at the one percent, you know, it's 10 CDs. You, you will think about it. You know, you would if it was five CDs, you will find out that, you know, you really might not really uh, think about it. And I think definitely it's an error. The one percent, you know, should have been reduced down. But it's fundamentally the ELB is a very regressive tax. It is impacts the poor as impacts the rich. So if the cushioning of the daily threshold of the 100 cities is taken away, you are worsening the case. You know, you're worsening the case. So because if you look at the e-levy, you find out that the volumes do not go down as much as uh, the, the values went because of that particular cushioning. And, the, and in this very difficult and austere times, the impact on the poor is worse than on, you know, those of us who are going in and coming. That was CEO of the Ghana Chamber of Telecommunications Engineer, Dr. Kenneth Ashby. Meanwhile, Mobile Money Agents Association of Ghana are calling for a further reduction in the newly proposed electronic transfer levy rate from 1% to uh, between 0.1% to 0.5%. Speaking to City Business News in an interview, the General Secretary of the Association, Evan Zotunfo, said that if the rate is not reduced further, Ghanaians will be compelled to revert to the cash system, which will lead to a collapse of their businesses. Uh, reviews that we think if government should introduce, uh, government will still make the revenue, and that is to reduce the rates uh, drastically because we have over 17 million people who are on Momo. And so, if we reduce this to maybe 0.1, 0.5, um, a lot of people will really see the rate as something which is very minimal, uh, it will not be very impactful on them. And so uptake and then transacting using the Momo will be something that uh, it will be attractive enough for people to continue using it. And thereby, government will equally maximize uh, revenue. But as it stands now, a lot of people will actually be looking at alternatives, using of cash to pay for goods and services. Nobody should underrate the fact that people are heavily using cash uh, these days. You just heard the General Secretary for the Mobile Money Agents Association of Ghana, Evans Otunfo. Now, industry players within the Africa digital trading sector are pushing for the strategic use of bitcoins on the continent. This, according to the players, will give users a trading avenue which is not directly impacted by the global high inflationary rates currently confronting countries. Speaking during the maiden edition of the Africa Bitcoin Conference here in Accra, the convener of the Africa Bitcoin Conference, Farida Naborema, believes that Africans must adapt the new trend of using digital currency. This initiative was launched, the Africa Bitcoin Conference, with the goal of making Bitcoin more understandable and accessible to the African population. It is a technology, a currency that provides tremendous opportunities, and we want African youth to understand all the complexity of this technology, but to also be able to read into the innovations and tap into it in order to grow. So the Africa Bitcoin Conference has... The ultimate goal of 
Bitcoinizing the continent, and to achieve this, we need to make information accessible to all. Africans are actually very knowledgeable of Bitcoin, because when you look at the data, Africa has experienced the fastest adoption rate of Bitcoin in the world in the past two years. Adoption has increased by more than 1,200%, and you already have tens of millions of people on the continent that are using Bitcoin. Of course, we haven't reached the level where we want to yet, but Africa is leading in terms of adoption, even ahead of other countries in the world. The reason why people need Bitcoin in Africa could be different from the reason why people need it in America, for example. That was the convener of the Africa Bitcoin Conference, Farida Naburima. And that's all for the City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obudu. Thank you for listening. As always, please stay safe. Up next is Point Black. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandamani. Tonight on Point Blank, we're talking about the NDC's internal elections and parties gearing up for national offices, starting with the women and youth organizer, and then they would go to the main executive position. In studio tonight, I have someone whose job it is to ensure the elections are conducted in a transparent and fair manner, and also in a peaceful manner. Deputy Coordinator of the Organization of the NDC's Internal Elections is my guest on Point Blank. Now, that's not his only title. He was a health minister in the Mahama government. He was Deputy Chief of Staff in the Mills government. Honorable Alex Segbefia, you're welcome to Point Blank. Thank you very much. Good evening, Umaru, and good evening to your listeners. Good evening. It's good to see you with your fine beard and... You need a haircut, don't you? Yes, I do. Actually, <laughs> I do need a haircut. Uh, are you, have you have you suffered from the haircut? You had the latest haircut in time. Well, I hear there's a scissors, pair of scissors that is there. Yeah, no scissors left. That's why my hair is going. <laughs> They've been using it to cut people's accounts. <laughs> serious, uh, how how have you personally been receiving the government's um, attempts to fix the economy? I I, I feel sorry for the government, uh, and someone will say why, but. Um, because I think that they haven't, sometimes when I listen to what they're trying to do, um, they haven't, or they are refusing to fully appreciate uh, the, the problem that we have. Because if you did, there are some simple things that you wouldn't do. And the uh, own goals are a bit too many. And they, be, they should begin to listen. Uh, the, the game we are in, it's one about people's confidence in you as a government, 
the people who represent your government. It's about what, whether they feel people's integrity is intact. And therefore, your statements become very important. And if the president himself is even getting it wrong with regard to his announcements to the world, not just the people of Ghana, uh, for example, with the haircuts, and then all of a sudden, the very next day, uh, uh, you have the uh, um, information minister trying to explain it. And then subsequently, you now have the finance minister giving us some detail uh, with regard to the domestic debt. Um, it doesn't engender, for me, confidence. It doesn't sound like a mistake. The government has so far towed the line of the president really? in the communication. So there's not going to be any haircuts? Huh? They said there will be no haircuts on capital your capital. Not th that's what they have said. Uh, that and wasn't what his statement was. He said there will be no haircuts. Yeah, so there's a clarification now. Fine, okay. So if you see it as simple, uh, many people don't, especially those who are feeling it. And the lack of clarity uh, when it was being speculated of about a week does not help either. And the lack of acceptance that government has a big part to play in the mess that we are in in the first place um, also does not help. So that's why I'm saying that I feel sorry for because they, they have to accept that, look, at some point you have to say that, look, I have contributed to this mess, and they don't see that. As far as they're concerned, it's Russia, Ukraine, war, and COVID. But that's, that's justified, uh, is justified it? blame, isn't it? I no, mean, not, well, we, it saw, is, we saw what COVID It's only did. partial. It's only partial. Why? Everybody has COVID in the world. Why are we at the bottom of the pile? Why are we with Sri Lanka? Why? Why? Did everybody not have the opportunity to borrow? Why have we borrowed to the extent as a country way before COVID and Russia and Ukraine war that now when the, there are issues, we are not in a position to repay our debt? Is the NDC going to be better than this? And there's also another argument that even if NDC won the election, these challenges, how low we have gotten... It will be difficult to recover. Convince us why you are a better alternative. Because Gabi Azarachudaku always says that the alternative is scarier. Yes, and uh, that's what people were saying to the MPP. And people said, oh, no, the MPP will be better and look at where we are. There is no comparison between what the NDC has been or will be as to what the NPP will be. One of the ways of solving the problem is to change the personnel or change the people who are in charge. Because as I said, it's a confidence thing. If so much money has been given to you, which you have not used appropriately in the eyes of many, regardless what kind of uh, reporting you do below the line, above the line, all kinds of political uh, explanations, people know what it is and just watch you. And maybe help you could get, you will not get, for the simple reason that your trust is gone. Your credibility is gone. The change of personnel, are you referring to the low level, the middle level, the senior level, or the whole personnel in charge of our administration, or, uh, in charge of our country? Across board, but you have to do it in stages. Obviously, changing the personnel in terms of the presidency and the government, we are waiting for 2024. If we could do it uh, prior, uh, I'm a realistic person. I don't see the my, uh, a two-thirds majority uh, being in place to impeach the president. So I don't, uh, I don't uh, deal in fantasy. But it is incumbent upon the presidency 
to understand. And it's interesting that your program before was, and I smiled, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, what Professor Jampo was saying was, look, uh, check the style. I don't think this is the way forward. Uh, and reshuffles should have occurred a lot earlier, because that is a confidence thing. It's it, one of the, apart from other reasons why reshuffles are good, is that it instills some confidence in the system that there can be some change. Mm -hmm. But if you don't do it, then you have a problem. And one of the biggest problems the government itself has is that I'm always convinced that this government has always put personal and party political interests over and above national interest at all times. Let's talk about your party now. You're going for an election, a very crucial one, perhaps the most crucial of all since uh, the Koforidua Congress, where you are having your incumbent general secretary who has been in office for 17 years go against your chairman who has risen through the ranks to become a national chairman of your party. You are supposed to be in charge of this election. It must be a tough one for you, isn't it? Well, no. Um, you know, there are rules, and once you are able to follow the rules, then it's not so tough. Um, and we don't go into rumor and innuendo. We do with structure, process, and procedure. So once we are following the process and procedure that must be followed, uh, it, it's, it doesn't become tough in that manner. Yes, the contestants and will, will pull and, and shove, and people will try to make sure that their opponent is not seen to have a political advantage one way or the other. That is natural with politics. And it is also natural with politics that there will be contest. If not so, there was the point of democracy. So regardless of who or what is contesting, that is the beauty of democracy. And uh, we'll go with it. And it's a difficult one for a lot of people in terms of how, but the, the beauty of it is that it's a secret ballot. And at the end of the day, the votes will be counted and there will be a winner and there will also be a loser. And there will be a vanquish. Then would that not vanquish the party in the end? Well, I like to think that that is definitely not the case. Why? That the cracks may not be so deep. No, 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 no. We've had a lot of uh, turmoil or, uh, should I say, upheaval in our party over the, the years in, from its inception to date. Um, many uh, uh, issues have happened in our party's political history to the extent that some have even left the party, uh, some have returned, some have not. And the one thing that is true is that the party always exists and will always exist. So it moves on from strength to strength. It can affect your political fortunes in any given uh, uh, period of time, depending on how deep the cracks are. But I do not believe that that is the case in this scenario. I think it's less of a problem because you're not having people... Um, saying, look, I'm unhappy, so I'm leaving the party, or this has happened. What you have is, I want your position. No, I'm sticking with my position. Let's go and, let's go and trash it out. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a problem okay. with the scenario that is occurring. So let's talk about the procedure and the process. Yes. What are you, what's your calendar like? Well, uh, first and foremost, we have the Women and Youth Congress, which is joint. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can be separate, but on this case, and like last four years, it's joint. It's taking place at the University of Cape Coast um, next Saturday. Um, this coming Saturday Yes, or this coming Saturday When mm -hmm. I say next coming, coming Saturday um, And that is the 10th of December At uh, Cape Coast University And uh, we have uh, A total number of 1,086 uh, Delegates for the Youth con Congress And 886 delegates for the Women's uh, con Congress So it's not the same group of people voting for both no, the women different, So the different. women will vote for the women organizer And then the youth will vote for the youth organizer yes, And our MPs also vote, the female MPs vote for the women Okay, as well. and do you have young MPs Who are also going to vote For the youth, or the youth is just a No, the youth is, the youth organizers 
and their deputies. And the ten executives. And ten right? executives as well. That is correct. So all contestants have your list of delegates by now. Yes. And the, that what is you call one thing album. I want to stress. We've put out the list of delegates. Uh, we want people to go through them extensively. One of the reasons why you hear about court injunctions and people is they are not content with what is on the list. And so we are employing everybody who has an issue to bring it out now, ASAP. Uh, it's out there. It's been out there for the last 48 hours, uh, if not 72. And uh, uh, in fact, 72. So people can have a look at it and decide whether they are on it or off it or somebody shouldn't be there, etc. Bring those issues up now. Don't be uh, a sport sport and decide, okay, I'll wait till uh, Saturday morning and then appear with an injunction that my name has been left off the list and then we have to go through all this rigmarole. So we are making it public. We are not running away from anything. If you have an issue, bring it and let's have a look at it and see how best to resolve it before we get to our Congress. With the how would the party deal with anybody who appears with a writ, say on Friday or on Saturday? Each one will be looked at on its merits, but we will not look kindly on it. Because we have given notice mm. that if you have an issue, bring it to the fore. But so far, have you received any complaints about people whose names have been omitted or people who want people's names added? No, we've had some issues uh, with the Wukom list, which have now, we, are, we believe, been resolved. And uh, yeah, so that, and that was an issue in the regional election. We like to think that we have now looked at it and put it together and, be, and resolved it. So if there are any issues, we expect people to bring them up. You don't have outstanding elections in constituencies or regions where the people would insist that you should hold on till they do their election before coming to vote? No. We, uh, once you have more than two-thirds in any region uh, that have had an election, then it's a valid election. And okay. therefore, you cannot then go and say everything should be put on hold. No, so, so that election we conducted on Saturday, uh, around what time and how long does it go for? Well, it starts... In the morning, uh, we've put together the program um, from 9 o'clock in the morning for people's arrival. The program in the, will start at about at 10 o'clock. Okay. And then we'll go through uh, uh, opening ceremony, etc. After the opening ceremony, which is the part one, we'll go straight into the voting. We hand over to the electoral commission who conducts our election. And then we go through the voting. And once that is done, uh, we do the counting. And once the EC announces the winners of the positions in question. We, uh, we do, the, for the women and youth, they're actually uh, sworn in at the same time okay. as the, at the main conference. So they'll hold on. They'll so be elected, yes, but they'll, they'll be, be elected, But they will not be sworn in okay. at the women and youth conference. They'll be sworn in with their... So you elect one woman organizer and deputies? Two. Two deputies. Yeah. And then one youth organizer and deputies. That's correct. So that's what you're going to come out with from Cape Coast. That's correct. And then you hold on to the list. And when do you expect results to come in? By 6 p.m.? Hopefully, yes. Okay. We are making sure that we have enough polling booths okay. to cover, uh, to ensure swift voting, voting on the day. Yeah. What about the main national elections? The main national elections are, are coming on on the 17th of December, the following Saturday after that. Okay. And it's at the Accra Sports Stadium. And... Uh, uh, there we are expecting 8,964 delegates from all over the region. We are expecting them to come down on the Friday night. Uh, we are creating a small village on, in what we call our Congress village um, by using the uh, accommodation from uh, Legon. Okay. So they will be camped at Legon. University that, of Ghana. University of Ghana on Friday night. Bust from there straight to the uh, Congress Stadium. And then we will have our part one as well. With the opening ceremony, which we normally have. And then we hand over to the EC, who then goes through the process. 
we are hoping to have as many as 17 polling uh, stations, which will involve uh, 170 booths. So each station has 10, because we are voting for 10 different uh, okay. positions. Okay. Um, and that would, we hope, will ensure that we finish within a three to four hour maximum time span. We think we can do it in three. It takes slightly if we go beyond. So if we are hoping we finish by two, the voting should be finished by six, and by eight, nine, we should be declaring winners. The MPP did this recently. We got the results around 5 a.m., and then four years ago when they did it in the results came around 5 a.m. again. This is what you're saying. It sounds a bit more ambitious. Are you, are you not sure you want to give some more room? Yes, but the truth of the matter is that when we did ours in uh, the trade first side four years ago, it was horrendous. We spent two and a half days, more or less. I know, I remember. Yeah. I was, I was so, actually, I've used that example. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we are clear in our mind that uh, that was because of lack of uh, boots for people to vote. So we are more concern, concerned about the polling boots. Mm -hmm. We are also uh, in talks with the EC to ensure that uh, and we, 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 at this point, are not going to have a centralized collation point. Every booth of the 70 will count at the booth and, and then it will be sent to a central collation point. Okay, so you have polling like stations and a collation center. Exactly. At the, at the same sports stadium. Exactly. Okay, so that's what you are expecting to happen. And yes. uh, you said, what, 8,000 people? 8,964. These are MPs? No, these are delegates. So, yes, yeah, so I'm saying uh, what makes up the delegate list. So, oh, so you have the constituency executives, the regional executives, former uh, uh, executive members, uh, former government appointees within the, the party, uh, former ministers of state within the party, former ambassadors within the party, etc., etc. You have a lot of your current executives yes. seeking to retain office. Yes. They are still in administrative office. Yes. Are they not the same people who will be supervising this election? How would that be fair and transparent? Well, yes, we supervise it up to a point, but it's still a vote, and that is conducted by the EC. So once the EC take control and they are this thing, we are supervising, but we, we, we cannot get involved in the actual process. No, not you. You are not. And I'm referring to the chairman, yes, the general secretary. Yes, the, the general secretary is the chair of the planning committee. By your law. But, by our law, but he's not sitting on it. No. The, his co-chair, Kofi Ator, will be involved more. Because he's also not contesting. So he will be going. And how about the chairman, uh, for example, for what will yes, be his role? He, in will be there, he will be part of the opening ceremony. And like all the rest, so you will have the organizer, current organizer, not, they all will be there. But everybody has their role. And when it comes to the election point, mm. that is going to be supervised by the election committee. So they I become chair. candidates. They don't become yes, officials they become, anymore. Yes, they become candidates. I see. Usually at Congress, parties tend to bring proposals for amendments to constitutions and all of those things. That happens in the first part. Are you having any such plan? We are thinking of doing so because we have a number of what we call non-contentious amendments we are thinking of putting forward. Mm. We have what in our constitution, the right to a special delegates congress, which allows us to sit down, have a congress which has nothing to do with elections, okay. but for us to just look at our constitution and work on. And that congress is what we would like to use to deal with more in-depth in-depth uh, constitutional review. But there are some uh, simple constitutional things that we can do. We are hoping to get them all out by Friday, uh, send them out to the regions because they are non-contentious. Um, then we do not expect that there should be any 
uh, issues on them. Anything okay. that is going to create an issue, we will not deal with. Okay. We will then get those passed, but sometime in the future, we will then look at a proper constitutional review con uh, Congress. What will be the role of uh, former President Mahama at the Congress? He will give an, uh, a statement or a speech at the opening ceremony of the Congress, which is in place as a former president and the last uh, outgoing flag bearer. What about flag bearer <coughs> hopefuls who want to come there and campaign, who wants to also be given a platform to talk, say Dr. Kamna Dufour, for instance? No. That, that, the the that reason why uh, former President Mahama is being given that role is, one, he was the last flag bearer, but not, that is not the reason. It's because the former president. Mm. And as a former president and leader of our party, uh, it is only appropriate that he be given that platform. As the NDC, what do you hope to come out with after Saturday? And I'm referring to this Saturday and the next. Well, we want a team that is now going to be in place to take us to Victory 2024. And the, 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 we do not underestimate our opponents in any way. Much as people say, oh, look, because... We don't want to win the election by default, by the fact that, yes, they've been so bad that vote for anything else but them. We want to actually let people know that we are a credible alternative, and they should look at us as a credible alternative, looking at our policies and programs and the way in which we intend to form government. So well, that will be our, our position. Okay. What, what about the issue about your flag bearership? When is that going to happen? After, excuse me, after we finished with the... Uh, this campaign, mm -hmm. we'll then look at a date quite uh, as close as possible. Um, we have a, a potential deadline of March, end of March, to try and do it. If we have to go beyond, we'll look at it. But that is done more at the constituency level. You know, we spread it out more mm -hmm. than the National Congress. So before March next year, we'll have your, we'll have your flag bearer? No, that is the timetable. Okay, should, I'm saying that that's the timetable. Congress, so this Congress can decide to shift it. Okay. Because we are in Congress, okay. and therefore they can shift it to June. Okay. They can shift it to May. Okay. Uh, and one of the things we have to consider uh, before Congress is whether, because we may want to do the orphan constituencies at the same time, we may wish to extend the time to get all those modalities in place mm -hmm. so that we can then have the two together. Alternatively, okay. we can have it and leave those uh, the issues with the MPs to a later date. Thank you so much for joining us for dinner tonight on Prime Blank. Thank you so much for having me. God bless. God bless you too. That's Honorable Alex Segbefia, former Minister of Health and the Deputy Coordinator of the NDC's internal elections uh, for the upcoming national executive election. My name is Umaru Sandamad. Production by Bevlin London and Hansen Ajiman. The technical support from Daniel Squashi and of course the new media team here at CTFM and CityTV that brought to you the live feed you're watching on Facebook. Thank you for watching and listening to CTFM and Eyewitness News. Please stay with us. There's more coming your way. Good night. Our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.